I feel like the work I was doing previously, I was talking about people or making work about people or inhabitants without showing them, just showing the remnants of them. But now I wanted to start showing the figure. And I was hoping throughout the work to work with the figure in a non-specific way, just as non-specific as this, as the place that they were embedded in, um, where, you know, again, just like 15 homes, these can be images from my family album or your family album. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 198th episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Dominic Lapillo, who's a photographer living in Mississippi. We talk all about his work, its history, what he's doing now, and all sorts of great things in this interview, so please stay tuned for that. Dominic's work is featured in the solo exhibition Stories We Tell Ourselves, opening up at Manifest Gallery. It also coincides with two other solo exhibitions, Chronicle by Greg Sand and Whitewash by Wes Battleclip. In addition to these solo exhibitions are the group exhibitions Archive and Archives. Again, this is all part of Manifest Photo Focus Biennial and open September 28th and run through October 26th. You can, of course, go see the work in person at Manifest Gallery in Cincinnati. You can find out more information about the exhibitions at manifestgallery.org. You can also find more information for their competitions, their residency program, their drawing center, all up at manifestgallery.org. If you're listening to Studio Break for the very first time, I do want to encourage you to visit studiobreak.com. We have a big archive of artists that have appeared on Studio Break to talk about their work, to talk about their processes and practice. And, of course, we share images of their work as well as links to their websites. You can, of course, listen through the default player or just hit that iTunes hyperlink, subscribe to the podcast, and that way you never miss one. You've always got something to listen to in the studio. Please note that our 2018 professional competition is now open. This year's juror, Brian Frink, will be selecting three artists to appear on Studio Break in a future episode, as well as one artist for a solo exhibition at Raka Gallery up in Mankato, Minnesota. If you'd like to find out more information, please visit studiobreak.com. You'll see right on the left sidebar, there is a professional artist competition page for more information. You can find Studio Break in a number of social media formats, so please be sure and like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. So please check us out there. And with those announcements out of the way, here is our interview with Dominic Lapillo. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Dominic Lopillo. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent, excellent. And um, just remind us real quick, you're, you're currently at a residency where you're speaking with us? Correct. I'm in um, East Haddam, Connecticut at the iPark Foundation for a one-month residency. Um, my last day here is October 8th. We have open studios on October 7th. And so again, you're, you're at this residency making work. I'm especially curious, you know, a lot of people that I talk to start out talking about drawing and things like that. Was it was something like photography, you know, something that you gravitated towards when you were very young, you know, like documenting things or? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Um, no, you know, I, I don't have one of those <laughs> great stories where someone handed me a camera when I was a kid and said, you should do this. Um, go take photographs. Actually, I didn't think about photography until I was an undergrad. I think it was around 2002. I had a professor tell me that I would never be a painter or a drawer <laughs> and that I should try 
photography or graphic design. She thought I saw things. So, you know, after I talked to her the next semester, I registered for intro to graphic design and intro to photography. Immediately, I did not like graphic design, but I fell in love with photography. Um, I'm an introvert, so the idea of being behind a camera as a quiet observer um, and then the solitary process of developing photographs in the darkroom was something that was really appealing to me. I can be on my own, um, but it can be very active. You know, I didn't have to be a participant in a group. You know, not all art is like that in a way, but there was something special about photography that just resonated with me and my personality. So yeah, I, you know, I didn't think about the camera or photography or being a photographer until that seed was planted in my in my head. I went to um, Youngstown State University for undergrad. I went to Ohio University for graduate school. In undergrad, I um, I just, I didn't feel motivated, you know, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, so I had the typical foundations courses, um, foundations drawing, design, but I, you know, I, I just didn't know exactly where I was going to go with this. So, uh, you know, while, while I tried to do the best I could, I also didn't try very hard. <laughs> um, so I think that's probably why she said, you know, you, you're not going to be a painter or a drawer and to try photography because, you know, I can see things, but I just wasn't translating them over onto paper the way that I should. Were you always creative, I guess, when you were young then and in terms of like making some things? I mean, how did you decide that you wanted to even uh, pursue, you know, painting and or study that? I mean, is that something that you studied in, in high school and thing, earlier experiences? When I was a kid, um, you know, I was always drawing or painting or doing something creative. My mom and my dad um, encouraged that especially my mom. She wrote poetry. She loved art and she kind of encouraged us to, to, to do that, my brother and my sister. Um, I was also into music. You know, I played in rock bands when I was in high school and I thought I was going to go into classical guitar when I was in college. You know, I auditioned for classical guitar and two, about two days into music school, I just felt like it wasn't a right the right fit for me. So I switched to visual art, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do with visual art. But yeah, there was always this um, idea of creativity, um, this level of creativity that I was kind of immersed in throughout my whole life in middle school. A friend and I were working on our own comic book. You know, I was always interested in cinema, I was interested in music. So I, I knew like I would do something creative. I just didn't know what that thing would be. I'm glad it's photography. I'm glad that professor told me that I would never be a painter or a drawer and that <laughs> I should try photography, you know. Um, that honesty, you know, that probably was hard to say, you know, as an educator, I know that those things can be hard to say to students, but there's not a day that goes by where I don't thank her, you know, in my mind for making that suggestion to me, you know, and, and I had the opportunity to tell her that actually a few weeks ago, um, I actually dropped off a body of work for a solo show at Youngstown State University, and I ran into her, and, you know, I thanked her finally, like, years later. Um, about that. And she didn't even remember <laughs> that she told me that. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? You went here? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's super interesting. Again, uh, as someone also that's an educator, you, I don't know that I've ever, you know, just really like, yeah, you just don't have it, you know. Um, and in terms of then thinking about that, you know, initial experience, you know, you talked about the kind of traditional foundation courses and things like that. What were you, I guess, initially interested in making in terms of, uh, you know, photography. And I guess, too, just to kind of be specific, you know, were these more traditional practices or were they all digital-based practices? So 
the foundations courses were all traditional based practices, drawing, um, design, 3D design, you know, all the typical NASAD accredited courses that you have to take on the foundations level um, before you go into intermediate classes, declare a major. You know, at that time, you know, I was thinking art and technology would probably be my path. So working with computers, but it, it would be drawing on computers, animation with computers. and But there was something about that that I just at the same time was not excited about either. When my professor said he should try photography and you know I picked up the camera and I started shooting and doing that, there was something that just clicked. The idea of working from reality, being able to capture something that looks like it could be real, but it's not really real. It's just light bouncing off of a subject and onto celluloid or onto a sensor. That became really interesting to me, especially with my background of moving around from different houses. This idea that things that were real happened here, but I don't know what they are. So it's just a trace of that. Photography is a trace of the real. There was that that resonated with me, my background, that it just made sense. You know, I wasn't making something up. You know, I wasn't drawing from my mind. Um, I wasn't painting. I wasn't applying paint to a canvas where, you know, what we see is just paint built up on the surface. But we're, with photography, we're confusing reality for non-reality. And there was something with that that I just really, really loved and continue to love about the medium. Were there particular like photographers, you know, that stood out to you immediately or, you know, like in terms of maybe like television or movies? Again, I, I can't help but think that there's like a certain nostalgia, you know, in terms of some of your work, especially in terms of some of the interior. So I always get especially curious, like earlier on, maybe how those influences start, because, you know, like I remember being so taken with Mondrian that I'm painting primary color schemes into this figurative drawing, yeah. you know, which doesn't make any sense at all. So are, are there people that you can think of that you're like, oh, this is I could do this with with art. This is what art can be. Right. Um, so I grew up watching a lot of films, um, a lot of like, horror films and a lot of like thrillers and things like that, science fiction. You know, I was watching Steven Spielberg films, David Lynch films, Stanley Kubrick. So film and cinema was the first um, first thing that I, I think influenced me. But photographically, you know, photographers who are working in the staged realm, like Cindy Sherman, Untitled Film Stills, Gregory Crudson, setting up fictitious scenes in suburbia, Todd Heido, who is blending documentary photography with with staged photography. And then, you know, just people like Jeff Wall, Philip Lorca de Corsia, Thomas Demand. Um, so I'm looking at photographers, or I was looking at photographers, continue to look at photographers who are working with this idea of the staged image, create something that's believable, but it, it isn't believable. So when I was an undergrad, I was really just learning the medium, learning the tools and what I can do with photography. I was drawn to light, drawn to the figure, and I was drawn to domesticity. Um, so those things were what I was exploring. So I had two main professors that I was working under in undergrad. And under one professor, I would make a lot of figurative work, working in the studio or um, in domestic spaces where I was photographing the figure and playing with light. And then the other professor, I was doing a lot of narrative work with, especially work about relationships. Um, my wife and I got engaged our last year of undergrad. So relationships became, you know, it's something I was thinking about a lot, thinking about marriage, thinking about the domestic. I was making a lot of work um, that was staged and narrative based, based on relationships. But I was also taking what I was doing with the figure in light and applying that to the narrative work that I was doing. So I was trying to blend both things together. 
earlier in my undergraduate career, though, a professor of mine that I had for photography, for color photography, he said, um, you know, just go out and photograph all the cliches that you can think about. Just get all those images out of your mind. That way you can just start making real work. And I think that was a great idea. It was just carry your camera with you, respond to these things. You have to make those images of the sunsets or whatnot of rusty old trucks, just because you're new to this and you have to do it to get it out of your system. And I think that was great advice. I think um, a lot of educators just say, don't do the cliches. But this time, you know, we were encouraged to do the cliches with the goal that we would move past them and see that they were cliches and why they're cliches, learning through experience. And I think that's a lot of what undergrad is, is learning through experience to gain the tools that you need in order to make the ideas that you have come to life. So I took all those interests from cinema, from these photographers that I was looking at, and then I was applying that to these ideas that I was having, and then they grew in graduate school, um, where I was looking at more at the work of David Lynch in this darker kind of psychological realm, and then playing with photography at night, um, shooting suburbia at night, staging things in the home, and then just having more of a grittier kind of experience to these images. And at that time too, in graduate school, I stopped working with the figure. I stopped working with people. And it was just more about the solitude spaces, these empty spaces. And the viewer could become that figure in the space. It was like they're walking up onto a scene as it was happening or unfolding. And, and this is the work under a calm surface that's on your website? Yeah. So under a calm surface is my MFA thesis work. That work in particular, um, I was going into the house that my wife and I lived in, removing the furniture from the spaces and then rearranging the furniture to create these tableaus um, that didn't happen, but very well could have happened there. Drawing influence from my experience as a kid of moving around from different houses, um, I was always interested in who lived here and how was the space used and um, all the stories that are kind of embedded in the walls of, of these places that I lived in. So I was doing that for this MFA thesis work. So removing the furniture and building up these spaces to look like an occurrence that bordered something that was paranormal or man-made could have happened. So for instance, there's an image where all the furniture is taken from the room and put into the corner of the room, blocking a door. So it looks like someone is blocked from entering the room or someone is trapping themselves in a room or all of the furniture was just magically sucked into the corner of the room. There's another image with a bookcase in a green room where all the books are off of the shelves and they're piled up into a pyramid form. Um, so did they magically do that? Did a person do that? There's an image that draws influence from the poltergeist where it's a bedroom and there's um, a television and the light emanating from the television. So looking at cinema again and, and looking at these things that are familiar to us through these codes that you can find in cinema or these cliches that you would find in cinema and then putting them into these this house that I live in to create these experiences that may or may not have occurred in there. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like you're walking into it like a crime scene or something like that in some of them or where you're you know, put in back into the context of like trying to figure out what happened, you know, especially like you just arrived after somebody, you know, knocked over a Christmas tree <laughs> and you're, and you're left wondering what, you know, what, what's that about? Again, that's a really interesting idea. Um, and I, again, just to kind of clarify before, we, you know, maybe we kind of jump ahead a little bit, but these, these are all then 
photographs that are are just staged, not digitally manipulated? It's a little of both. The way that I would work for that process, I would move things around, you know, like like that I mentioned, and then I would photograph. I don't know, however many, 10, 12, 20 <laughs> images of the same composition with things just moving around. And let's say maybe I liked the way the books looked in, on the right side of the composition, but not the left side of the composition on this particular image. So I might take bits and pieces from the different images and blend them together to make one image. Or maybe I liked the way the light was filtering through the window in this image, but not that image. But I liked the way the books looked in this image. So I would take bits and pieces to make one image that was seamless. And that was just probably my indecisiveness as a photographer <laughs> um, um, to do that. But yeah, so it was staged in the sense that I'm physically staging the scene, but then it was also in post-processing, putting different bits and pieces of these images together to make one whole image as well. So to think about that related to the to the you know body of work that's on your website, you know, could you talk a little about 15 Homes and, and I guess the process of kind of working through, you know, different series of work, whereas, you know, before you were talking about, you know, staging things in these interiors and now you're more literally working with your own past and this this body of work for 15 homes. Sure. Um, so for 15 homes, I was taking images from my family's photo albums, specifically pictures that had represented the different houses that we lived in. Um, I don't know if there are 15 different photos from the 15 different houses, but there's 15 images in the series. Um, so what I was interested in doing was exploring space to figure out if these places ever existed as home for me, or if these were just houses that we lived in. So I would take the images, scan them into Photoshop, and then digitally start removing the people from the images. So a lot of cutting and pasting and clone stamp and hilling brush and using those tools to only use the information that exists in the photographs to cover up the person and rebuild the space so it would become a home or a room or an image that doesn't have a person in it anymore. And by doing so, um, I was hoping to just revisit the room or the place. But it's not, right? Because it's a photograph. And it's a photograph of a photograph. So it's it's not really revisiting the space in a physical sense, but just in kind of this visual way, right? So these images, to me, ended up working almost like crime scenes. The camera's pointed at or in a way where we're supposed to be looking at somebody, but that person's not there anymore. So it's pointed at the floor or at a wall. Mm-hmm. And they become these kind of gritty images that just depict these rooms where it feels like something happened but you know nothing's happening so you know it's not staged photography but to me it felt very similar to staged photography because it was working in the same way that my previous body of work was working um, under a calm surface where you know the cameras pointed into a room something clearly happened Um, I'm giving you a glimpse of something that did happen, but in 15 homes, really nothing's happening. It's just this room that contains this essence of a person or people that should be there. It's like it's trapped energy. So in a lot of ways, I felt like it was successful, um, at least for me as a, a viewer, because they retain the same kind of 
qualities that stepping into a rental house does. There is an energy of people who lived here before. You know, there's marks left on the walls. There are sometimes unforgotten things that they forgot to pack and take with them, like a belt hanging up in the closet or something like that. So these remnants of the people who once lived there, I think they become evident in the images in 15 Homes. But one of the other um, one of the other things that I was curious about with that series too is not really approaching it as you know this is a beautiful photograph of a space, but this is a photograph of a space. So I would leave the fingerprints, the dust, the scratches that you would find on the surface of the image. I would leave those there. You know, I would limit my retouching in that aspect. Um, that way, the viewer knew that you know we're looking at photographs from a family album, but this is a family album without people. So it becomes a family album of homes and it becomes a family album of homes where things could have happened, but we don't know what those things are and we don't know the people who live there. So it's, it's trying to build that mystery and that feeling that I had every time I moved into these different houses and then kind of figure out you know, if they did exist as home or just as a place, was it a place and, or was it just a space that I lived in? You know, that tension between space and place grew to be a huge part of my work, especially in my collaborative work that I was doing, um, which I haven't talked about yet, um, but kind of grew out of these interests that I was having as well. So it's very odd to to think about these because I think immediately about memory, you know, because it's really hard to kind of you know, you feel like attached to something that you might not be attached to. And I was, I was going to say, there's a movie called the final cut with the late Robin Williams, where, you know, he's essentially a very sure of this childhood incident that may or may not have happened. Sorry, spoilers, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> some plot, plot information there, but it's interesting because as I'm looking at a lot of this work, I mean, you know, I start thinking about that related to my own memories and starting to think about, you know, some of these being so banal that you start to want to gravitate towards some familiarity, you know, like maybe some, you know, aunt's house that you walked in or like, you know, as I'm looking at, you know, one of them, I'm like, I swear I had a table that was just like that, you know? So it's right. interesting to me to think about how that idea of memory can be attached to something that you have no, no connection to. Right. And I think that's the, um, the success of working with found images sometimes is that these images can be from your family album or someone else's family album. They share an aesthetic of the amateur photographer. And then these are just common things that you would find in almost any home from this time period. There's um, a sense of nostalgia, sure, um, in the work that can resonate with um, everyone. But, you know, at this time, I was also reading Camera Lucida by Roland Barthes, who in that book, in that essay, he he lost his mother and he's searching for her essence through photographs. Um, so he starts the book off looking at famous photographs and talking about them and deconstructing them. Then the second half of the book, he dives into family photographs and then he's searching for her. So in, in that way, you know, thinking about memory and how um, our memory kind of weaves in and out of different photographs to get to the photograph that we need to tell us the truth. 
is something that I was thinking about. I was also reading The Uncanny, Freud's The Uncanny. So the idea of the familiar and the unfamiliar was something that was stuck in my head at the time too. So those things were definitely on my mind as I was working with this body of work, 15 Homes, and even this later body of work that I'm doing, Stories We Tell Ourselves. There's something about giving a glimpse of something that you might know what it is, but put in a different context, you might not know what it is. Um, so there's something interesting about that to me. How does this then work as a, a collaboration then too? Because you also have some bodies of work where you're you're collaborating um, with a with another photographer to kind of you know compile images. So sure. what, what's what's that process like in comparison? Okay, um, so the process in comparison, working with another photographer. So we have two bodies of work on my website that that we've completed and we've shown. The first one, anti-local, um, we started in 2010. I should back up and say Mark and I, Mark Schoon is the photographer I work with. Um, we met in graduate school. You know, we went through the three-year program together. And in our, our last year, we figured out that we had this shared interest in the domestic and photographing space and place, but for different reasons. Um, Mark was more of an observer. I was more of a staged photographer. And about a year after we completed the program, when Mark was living in Queens, New York, and I was living in Youngstown, Ohio again, um, we had this idea for photographing our own domestic spaces. Um, so we set some rules for ourselves. We were going to shoot six by six film. We were going to photograph in our spaces only, and it would be a call and response. So the first image that we made, Mark photographed his window. I believe it was in his bedroom um, or bathroom. I can't remember which room. Uh, he scanned it, processed it, emailed it to me. Um, I looked at it and I responded by making a photograph of a window in my house, but the colors were inverted. Um, so it became this mirroring almost where we have these two almost identical images working side by side. Um, they were four by four inches each placed a quarter and a half apart from each other, printed on 11 by 14 inch paper as a digital C print. So we were interested in this idea of this mirroring effect um, of experience. You know, Mark's experience living in Queens can be similar to my experience living in Youngstown. And through photographs, nobody would really get a sense of the distinct locations, right? Mark's living in the most diverse part of the country and I'm clearly not, right? Um, I was living on a 43 acre farm in a farmhouse and Mark's living in a one bedroom apartment. But through these images, since they're both rental houses, we have the same generic tan wall colors, the same brand of bottled soap, the same pots and pans and everything like that. So we were able to play with our spaces and our experiences and share a little bit about each other's lives that way. Um, so they became these personal kinds of things, these little snippets, these little fragments of our lives that were put together. And then there were comparisons, but they also opened up this larger conversation about identity um, or a lack of identity for this more generic kind of big box store aesthetic. So we made about 30 of those over a few years Um in that span of time, I moved from Youngstown to Starkville, Mississippi. Mark moved from Queens to Carrollton, Georgia, and then eventually Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so we have, I think, five different houses represented in that project, and they all kind of look the same through the through images. After that, work became almost a formula. 
and it became easy, mm-hmm. we decided to challenge ourselves with a different body of work called conflation. Um, in that body of work, we were still doing the call and response, but we weren't making mirrored images anymore or um, independent images that would work together. We were making independent images that had to work together to create one image. So let's say I would photograph half of a room and then I would process it, email it to Mark, and then Mark would have to photograph half of a room in his house. And then they were put together in Photoshop, not composited together, Mm -hmm. but just touching to create the seam right down the middle. And then what you had is a believable space that can only exist in a photograph. It can never exist in reality. Um, So we were taking these two different experiences and merging them together to create this house, right? Um, Where maybe there would be a hint of a narrative or maybe it would just be a study of the room and the light coming in and that captured and trapped energy. So those images were much larger. They were 34 by 44 inches. They were a departure from anti-local for sure. With both bodies of work though, I was able to stage a little bit and Mark was able to approach things as a documentarian. Um, And then they were never really these 100% truthful images as all photographs are, but they were just really a blend of two ways of working that we put together into this non-specific style that we both can do. So we had to kind of think how the other would think or anticipate how the other might respond to this image to create a whole new piece. And and to me, that was kind of like working the way that I've always worked, you know, in my series Under a Calm Surface, I was staging. In 15 Homes, I was borrowing images. Um, So I felt like in in a way I was collaborating with these unknown photographers and then So for me, the process kind of felt like an organic progression into image making with photographs. Well, and I was going to say with this, you know, this conflation series, it's really interesting because, you know, like you were talking about, you know, to see some of these interiors, they look at some point like so believable until you kind of like, you know, follow like the angle of a a wall and and go, oh, that's that's not real. But it's interesting because it's also not like, I mean, you know, in some ways it's like a a digital collage. But again, it's just interesting because it's so like believable in terms of some of these spaces at first. And again, kind of addresses some of the other themes, but, you know, through the use of somebody else's work or kind of like a collaboration of that work. So, again, it's very interesting to, to think about in context of some of the other bodies of work. Is that something that also kind of like allows you um you know, other ways to kind of continue to find ways to explore in your own work as well? For sure. I think that the work that I'm doing now, my solo project stories we tell ourselves, kind of grew um, out of that process of working with Mark, especially with conflation, how we had to create this seamless space that in one way looked believable, but the more you look at it, like you mentioned, um, you can tell that these these are two different images. In stories we tell ourselves, I'm working with found images in extracting the people from those images to place into original landscapes that I take. They're non-specific American landscapes um, that look like they can be from anywhere. And these people coming from found images from family albums, um, vacation slides (laughs) that I buy off of eBay, where I had a student who was nice enough to donate slides to my project that she was working with that she didn't need anymore. It's working with the familiar and the unfamiliar. It's 
taking someone who doesn't belong and putting them into this space where they kind of fit, but the more you look at it, you see that they don't fit, but hopefully at first glance, it's believable. Um, so for sure, the work that I did with Mark, specifically conflation, has come to influence the way that I started working in my solo practice where stories we tell ourselves, that idea of a puzzle or piecing things together, create the unfamiliar and the familiar is something that I think is similar in both my solo and collaborative work. Well, one thing that's interesting too, is that there's, you know, the people are in this mm -hmm. and it's also, you know, landscapes. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to think about, you know, too, in, in terms of like maybe having, you know, a number of work that's all based off of those kind of home interiors and, and people, but then, you know, trying to do that in a way that the figure kind of relates to the landscape and still kind of has this weird eerie narrative or like you talked very early on about like a grittiness or kind of like overcastness to Ohio. <laughs> and as a Illinoisan, I, I can, I can feel it because, you know, there's like a period of time in the winter where you don't see the sun, mm -hmm. but it's interesting then because you start to kind of, again, kind of create these situations for people to kind of react to, or kind of like wonder, you know, of the relationship between, between the, the figure and then this landscape that they're inhabiting right. in terms of kind of distilling that process, then you're out taking photos of these landscapes and then uh, manipulating these, these people into them. That, yeah, that's, that's right. So um, I start with the landscape. I go out shooting, you know, I just drive around or I, for it to be really successful, I park my car and I walk around um, with my camera um, looking for things um, to photograph that could be non-specific, general. You know, that idea of the rental house being a general non-space um, is something that I keep in mind when I'm looking for things to photograph in the landscape. So I start with the landscape and then I go back into Photoshop and then I start post-processing it, adding fog or snow or rain or atmosphere, right? Sometimes I'm photographing in the fog or in those types of conditions, but then a lot of it is created or added in Photoshop as well. Thinking of things like living in Ohio and the overcast days that I experienced that I grew to love. And then the intense fog that we get in Mississippi as fall starts to turn into winter and the warm air and the cool air start kind of colliding with each other. Um, and even thinking about the snow in, in Ohio and how all of these environmental conditions kind of erase things, erase things from your vision and make these places a little more nonspecific and make these things a little bit more accessible to everyone. And they kind of surround the place with mystery, um, which I love, and maybe an uneasy feeling too, like you don't know what's going to happen or what you're going to find. And perhaps that's coming from my experience of watching movies by like David Lynch or Steven Spielberg or, mm -hmm. you know, even horror, horror films. You know, I kind of grew up on horror films. So, um, all these types of things are then put into what I'm looking for in a landscape. And then after I process them and I have the landscape, I start looking through my images for the right character to put into this setting. And I'll um, look at my slides, you know, scan slides or found photographs. And then I might try five, six, seven different people in the landscape, composite them in, um, which takes a long time. And then they're on different layers, so I can shut them off and turn them on and look at the image with these different characters and figure out who is working best and why they're working best and you know what they what are they doing for the photograph? Do they complement the photograph? Do they feel like they're part of the photograph or do they just feel like they were cut and paste into it? 
does the light match up or does the light not match up and I have to create the light? And what does that add to the landscape that it normally wouldn't? So you know, I'm looking at these things from an aesthetic and a technical point of view, but I'm also looking at it from the idea of, does this feel familiar? Does this feel unfamiliar at the same time? And if it makes me wonder why, and I'm invested in looking at it, then I start to hope that maybe someone else will be invested in looking at it as well. I feel like the work I was doing previously, I was talking about people or making work about people or inhabitants without showing them, just showing the remnants of them. But now I wanted to start showing the figure. And I was hoping throughout the work to work with the figure in a nonspecific way, just as nonspecific as this, as the place that they were embedded in, um, where, you know, again, just like 15 homes, these can be images from my family album or your family album, or maybe they look like they're coming from cinema. So maybe they have a familiarity to them that um, I could capitalize on in my landscapes. So you're definitely an artist that kind of wants to utilize tools to be able to manipulate in terms of photography. I would imagine there's some uh, barroom brawls that go down for people that are traditional darkroom photographers still. <laughs> but I mean, do you just kind of see it then as just like the contemporary version of you know, manipulation that's taken place, you know, like you pointed out. Henry Petra. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you talked about that being comprised from five different photographs. So, I mean, in a way, is it any different if you're using digital tools versus, you know, being in the dark, <laughs> trying to figure it out? Sure. I think there's a labor of love um, that goes into all processes in photography, you know, the history of photography, specifically, you know, in the 1800s, photographers were looking for the most labor intensive ways of making images because then they can say a lot of work went into this. So it's art. And then, you know, early 1900s photographers are like, that's why are we doing that? Let's just do what photography does best. Let's just do straight photography and make sharp images. And then things circle back, you know, and I think right now there might be uh, an anything goes kind of attitude in the photo world. You know, there's a resurgence of, 19th century processes. A lot of people are doing tintypes, wet plate processes. Um, a lot of people are doing video or animation photographs. People are doing digital composites. People are compositing from found images or taking found images and then working with the surface. So I feel like we're at this point in photography where everything's been done. So why not make use of it all? Mm -hmm. I think we have our little groups, you know, like, some people are like, yeah, I'm a traditionalist and that's what I'm going to be. And then there's other people like, oh, I'll do whatever I want. I think you have to identify at some point of what kind of artist you are. I think, at least for me, um, I just think of the idea, you know, and what's going to, what tools do I need to use to give this idea justice, whether it's going to have to be straight photography or manipulated photography. I, I have to say that I do love manipulated photography and staged photography. So I keep gravitating towards that, you know, but I've experimented with video and animation as well. It's been a long time since I've made a straight print, a straight image and said that's art. I think it's just not where my thinking is at right now. I can feel it coming back though. At, you know, the longer I work with stories we tell ourselves and compositing images together, I'm like, ah, feeling this need to just do something documentary for a while. Um, I don't know if that'll happen or not. But I think that's the great thing with photography right now at this point is that you can do almost anything. And 
you can be accepted. You know, I don't think that anyone is going to look and say, oh, those weren't made in the dark room. You, you didn't composite right. those together with negatives and look down on you. I think we're all just thinking of these as tools and how do we make use of these tools? Well, and it, it seems so interesting in, in terms of today too, just because Instagram is such a powerful tool and it's all photo based and, you know, I mean, you could just be the rock and you're taking a picture of a barbell at five in the morning. Apparently the rock works out really early, but it's interesting because I think about it and, you know, you see a photograph like, like that and it's going to be liked or loved or whatever, 500,000 times, you know, who, who knows how many times, you know? So right. it's, it's interesting too, because like, it's such an accessible thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to think about how photography now is especially, I mean, and has always, I guess, been in some ways, you know, part of our lives, but now, especially, it seems like it's just everywhere, but you know, you start thinking about too, then there's like now this digital memory book, as opposed to like a, a physical one, mm -hmm. you know, you're manipulating all of these family photographs. And at some point, you know, we're just going to have who knows how much information out there, that's just compiled photographs. Um, it's something that I think about all the time, the shift from um, analog to digital, and what are we giving up in the name of convenience? Mm -hmm. For instance, I think it was a couple years ago, my father-in-law went and scanned all the family photographs and then told my wife that he was throwing the physical prints away. Mm -hmm. Like, why, why did you do that? You know, we have these images, but, you know, if they're not scanned at the right resolution then they're pretty much useless but then there's something else too with the physical print right we can stumble across it we can pull it out of the closet box of photographs out of the closet and sit around the table and look at them and have conversations and there's something about that that i don't think is as easy to do with digital images right looking looking at images on a phone or on a screen not having something physical to hold in your hand i think is something that it's a compromise in a lot of ways. Solitary too. Yeah, it's solitary for sure. You know, I, I should back up and say, I don't have an Instagram account. I'm a photographer, but I don't have an Instagram account <laughs> and I work digitally, but there's something about it. You know, I, I'd rather, I'd rather hold a snapshot of my family or talk about it with my family instead of having that solitary experience of looking at this on my screen. So, you know, those are just things that I think about you know, as a photographer or just as a person, as technology evolves and changes, like what are we giving up in the name of convenience? Well, so before we, you know, kind of wrap everything up, um, I wanted to make sure to talk to you a little bit about this show that's opening at Manifest this week. So could you talk a little bit about that? Is is it primarily going to be this most recent series of works that you're going to be showing there? Right. Um, I'm going to have 12 images from stories we tell ourselves at Manifest Gallery. I believe that there are two other solo shows and a group show, and they all coincide with the um, Photo Biennale in Cincinnati. So I'm really excited to be part of um, that and to have my work there at this time. Um, I think Manifest is a great gallery to show in, too. They do so much for artists. You know, they have their residency. They have the solo show. They have solo shows. They have their publications, um, group shows. As an educator, you know, I, I just really, really appreciate the mission of Manifest Gallery and what they're able to do for artists. So yeah, I'm extremely excited to have work in there right now. Well, and one of the things too is, you know, like you were talking about by having all these exhibitions at the same time, you know, there's this interesting dialogue because, 
you know, artists can very easily kind of be locked away in their studio, you know, not interacting with people. So there's always some kind of interesting kind of conversations that kind of pop up, you know, especially kind of seeing other work. And again, that same silly idea, you might get into a debate about darkroom photography versus digital manipulation. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But those kind of conversations, I think, are always really kind of interesting, but especially, you know, in a situation where you have multiple exhibitions as opposed to, you know, just a exhibition, you know, it's kind of interesting, I think, for the artists as well that are participating. Well, yeah, the hope is to have the work complement each other and build a larger conversation about photography or about the themes that they're addressing. So even though they're solo shows, you hope that the work is going to um, communicate with one another and then with the audience. So it all has to work together. And I think that the staff at Manifest, they do a great job of thinking about that and making sure the right work is shown together. Um, I wish I can be there for the opening, but unfortunately I won't be able to, to I'll be in Connecticut still. But yeah, I, I have to see it when it's all together. <laughs> so where, where can people go to find out more information since you're, since you're not on Instagram? Um, <laughs> where do people go to find out about everything you're doing? Yeah, um, if you go to my website, www.domlapillow.com, um, I post work on my uh, different um, series, and I have um, a blog on there to update with different news about shows that I'm in or residencies or publications and whatnot. So if you go to my website, that's the easiest way to um, find current information. Um, my email address is on there as well, so if anyone wants to email me, ask questions or whatnot, I'd be happy to um happy to talk yeah you you might regret that i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah so again uh stories we tell ourselves runs uh from september 28th to october 26th at manifest gallery in cincinnati ohio once again i, I really appreciate you taking the time this morning to, to speak with me about your work again it's been fascinating and uh you know just hope you have a wonderful exhibition well thank you and thank you for having me today it's been a pleasure to be here Thanks once again to Dominic for joining me. You can check out his work by visiting his website or check out his solo exhibition, Stories We Tell Ourselves, opening at Manifest September 28th, running through October 26th. It also coincides with two other solo exhibitions, Chronicle by Greg Sand and Whitewash by Wes Battleclip. In addition to these solo exhibitions are the group exhibitions Archive and Archives. Again, this is all part of Manifest's Photo Focus Biennial and open September 28th and run through October 26th. You can, of course, go see the work in person at Manifest Gallery in Cincinnati. You can find out more information about the exhibitions at manifestgallery.org. You can also find more information for their competitions, their residency program, their drawing center, all up at manifestgallery.org. Please note that our 2018 professional competition is now open. This year's juror, Brian Frink, will be selecting three artists to appear on Studio Break in a future episode, as well as one artist for a solo exhibition at Raka Gallery up in Mankato, Minnesota. If you'd like to find out more information, please visit studiobreak.com. You'll see right on the left sidebar, there is a professional artist competition page for more information. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please visit studiobreak.com. You'll find a ton of archived interviews with images of the artwork as well as links to the artist's websites. You can, of course, listen right there on studiobreak.com or just hit that iTunes link, subscribe to the podcast, even leave us some feedback there as it helps with visibility. You can also help and earn karma points for yourself by spreading the word via social media. Be sure and like our Facebook page. You can also find us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. So please follow us there. I would, of course, like to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork by visiting SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, please visit DavidLinaway.com. You can also find me on Facebook and, of course, on Instagram. Be sure and say hello at David Linaway. And with that being said, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.